Hey guys, it's Drew here. And Steve. And we're here to talk to you about something that's super important to us. September is National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And we've both been through some pretty hard times in life. And we want you to know it's okay to go through hard times. And there's always help out there if you need it. If you go online, you can Google the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And if you call the number that it gives you, you can get help right away. We hope that this finds you. And if you needed it, then it gives you the strength to call the number. Uh, and we're with you. Thank you. Thank you. Steve, why would you play a game that has no real storyline? For the gameplay? No, it's for the lore. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're going to be talking about Dark Souls 3. We have three bosses that we each picked. We're going to talk about their gameplay, their lore, and why we chose them to be our top three. Come on, let's do this. Come on, follow us. And remember, jolly cooperation. Forever. From the darkest dungeon to the land among the stars. I'm Steve. And I'm Drew Boy. And we're the Cosmic Thrill Seekers. Steve, let's tell the listeners all about our favorite bosses. Okay, I'm fine with that. Man, your singing voice definitely took a hit with this cold or whatever you I got know. going on. I <laughs> know. Do you hear my nasalness? Yep. We're sorry, guys, but um, this is what you this is what you uh, can expect when we're uh, working so hard to pump out these episodes for you. For you. We don't do this for us. You think I find this fun? Well, I do. Whatever. Wait. Wait. <laughs> wait. What? What? Yeah, I do this for me. Th- that's the selfish truth. Well, I mean, at least you comment on our posts. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of being selfish, we have a few bosses in this list that are pretty selfish, and we'll get to that. But the path I want to direct you down starts with the beginning boss and ends with the final boss and talks about some of the bosses in between. I'm going to start with one of my favorite bosses, not only to fight, but also one of my favorite bosses lore-wise. Okay. And that is Gundir. This man represents everything about Dark Souls 3. Anyone who's played Dark Souls 3 knows that the main storyline is you are trying to link the first flame and try to kindle the fire to keep it going. Now, there are many champions of the first flame. People um, who are called back to life to uh, set out on this adventure to kindle the first flame. And... This is important because it saves the world you are in. Now, since there are many adventures that are called to this, there are many people who succeed and many people who fail. And sometimes they fail and it's not their fault. Gundir's story is interesting because by the time that his ash, which is like his physical essence, is revitalized, it is already too late. The fire has gone out. He comes into a Firelink Shrine, which is the hub of this world, and it's over for him. There's nothing left. His Firekeeper has already passed away. Nothing. Now, instead, he stands guard. He is the very first boss you fight in the game because instead he has he was vanquished in battle. And the coiled sword is plunged into him. And he is essentially the sword in the stone for the game. Mm -hmm. Now, this coiled sword is important because that is how you will kindle the flame at the beginning. 
to start your journey. So since he failed and was slain, he is actually the first boss you fight because he is determining, he is the judgment that determines if other unkindled ash are up to the challenge of kindling the first flame and going through all the trials and defeating all of the Lords of Cinder. So he is the first boss in a way that gets you ready for this journey. Now this comes to life for the player. This is a very tough fight for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about the statistic in an earlier episode. A, a large, a, Too large of a number of players won't succeed in beating him and he is within the first 10 minutes of the game and they will either uninstall refund the game and it's just he's very tough but his purpose comes to life in the lore you have to be able to beat him so that you are prepared for what is to come he's not a terribly difficult boss but when you are unfamiliar with some of the mechanics like invincibility frames and other things like that that make dodging so powerful, or if you are unequipped um, with a shield, it can be difficult. So depending on how you start and what you have to work with, this is a tough fight. I did not succeed my first time, and I don't think many people did. I didn't. So uh, it is not an insanely difficult uh, boss fight. It can be beaten. Shout out to Courtney. She beat the boss. That's Steve's uh, lovely girlfriend. She beat this first boss. And, um, you know, hats off, you know. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of people, uh, or I guess a lot of people (coughs) do, but a lot of people don't. Yeah, the funny thing is, never played a Dark Souls game, beat it seventh try. Seventh try. And that sounds like a lot, but once you, like, kind of know how to get back to the boss fight without, like, losing any health and stuff, that's actually not that long to keep trying. Like, I think I was... I was in the party with you guys. It was, it felt pretty quick how mm-hmm. she picked up on everything and how she beat it. Now, this boss's mechanics are really cool because not only does he transform in the fight, but he transforms in the game. Mm-hmm. In the fight, you have the first phase. You pull the coiled sword out of him, uh, like essentially um, revitalizing his ash, and you now have to fight him. Now, there is the pus of man inside of him that uh, in his second phase, he transforms and a sludge-like monster comes from his back and you have to now defeat him with higher mobility, higher range, higher difficulty. And this is to show the player that bosses will transform mid-fight and you need to be able to adapt. Um. The cool thing about this, though, is every animation, so from the moment you pull the sword out to when he starts fighting, you can hit him for free. Mm -hmm. When he's transforming, you can hit him for free. So if you haven't played the game, just know that and get in some cheap shots while you can. You know, that's (laughs) that's how I beat him every time. So, um, Now, earlier I said that he transforms in-game, and this is because um, once you defeat one of the bosses that will be discussed later in this episode... Um, you'll actually find the Cemetery of Ash, which is the same area that you start in, but it is dark, and the fire has gone out there. And this is where you will find Gundir as champion Gundir, his original Ash. And he is much more difficult to fight at this point. I mean, 
he has ninja kicks. No, yeah, he kicks you across the map. <laughs> yeah, he has ninja kicks. And at this point, you do have um, someone that you can summon to fight with you. That is the master. If you um, have summoned him previously to help with Vort. And um, yeah, so you can you can have an NPC summon to help. And you can also summon a friend at this point. So he's not too difficult. And if you want cheat codes, Steve just absolutely walloped on him with lead damage. Mm-hmm. And um, you can use Dorothy's gnawing to really just. It was so quick him. when we figured that out. Yeah, and when he says when we figured that out, I was I didn't know what was happening. I was just trying to chug <laughs> Estes as he kicked me for the twentieth time, and Steve's just like I'm trying to get aggro, and he's like across the arena, just like spamming <laughs> this bleed spell. Um, but yeah, so uh, once you meet him again, he is an optional boss. This isn't uh, the normal path that you would go to beat the game and it's it's pretty out of the way so if you're playing blind it's likely that you'll miss this entire area your first playthrough so um if you want to know where to find him and you don't want to learn too many spoilers spoiler alert um he is in lothric head to the left after the dancer once you go up the ladder head to the left and that'll be all i tell you and just follow that area out it's a very brutal area but um, you'll fight one boss, and then you'll go through another area, and you'll find that area I was talking about. So, uh, without giving too much away. So yeah, uh, fantastic boss. He represents to the gamer what the game is about, and he shows not only how tough the game is and represents um, how good you have to be to succeed in this game, but then shows how not only did he transform. Uh, to be harder later on, it also showcases how the player has transformed and has gotten better. So I really like this a lot. It, it spoke to me my first playthrough. Um, I was very proud of myself for beating him and moving past. I think it's like 13% of players or something like that. Don't beat him ever. Not a lot. So He's um, really hard. Let's first grade Ludic Skundir as a fight. Think about it from perspective of when you fight him in the game. That's that's the very champion first. gun. Oh. Ludix. So oh. the very first fight of the game. For Ludix Gundir, for being your very first fight and having it teach you so much, it's probably seven. Yeah. I would I would almost argue a nine out of ten. Oh yeah. Not not based off of difficulty, but his mechanics. He's got speed. He can travel large distances in one move. Um if you don't know what you're doing because it's your first time playing, he's tough. And you, I honestly probably have, before I understood the mechanics of the game, I think he is the hardest boss in the entire game. For the first boss? Being the first boss. Like, I don't think anyone else could have done a better job being a first boss. That's fair. And I don't mean that from like a teaching perspective. I just mean that like he's got a little bit of everything. Um, so I give him a 9 out of 10 for being the first boss. Now let's think about him later in the game as Champion Gundir. What do you give him? I give Champion Gundir uh, an 8.5. I would agree with that. Why do you give him an 8.5? I give him an 8.5 because unlike the first Gundir, which you can cheese using black firebombs when he transforms. True. Which I think is hilarious. You're right. I think I should then... Um, Take him down from a 9 to a 7.5. Because mm-hmm. you can cheese him. You can also break his AI at the very beginning of the game if you know what you're doing. You can If you shoot him in the head 
or it's either shoot him in the head or use a throwing knife right as he spawns and gets up. He, he'll just stand still and you can just hacksaw him. I also give him an 8.5 because his moveset is like greatly like changed. Yeah. It's such a different fight and he's way more aggressive. Literally every time you heal, he'll charge you no matter what attack he's doing. It's like as he soon knows as you, you're healing. It's uh, yeah, yeah. It's like the AI is like if if player is healing, say no. And he can fling <laughs> you. He will literally grab you and throw you off the map sometimes. Did we mention there's <laughs> a ledge that you can go flying off of? Oh, the yeah. amount of times that that happened to you when we were fighting I, him. I, like, land on the oh. edge, and I'd be like, no, 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 no. And, like, I'd be like, get his aggro, get his aggro. I got to roll. Like, bleed, mofo, bleed. Yeah, so, um, yeah, uh, he's he's definitely intense. You can cheese him kind of in that one, though, too, with uh, bleed, with Dorothy's. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say I'm not going to take any points away from that because it would require having at least two people to do it. This is not easy. And he really can't be focused on you because that is like kind of a long cast time. You can parry him to death, though. That is it's true, but it's tough because his moves are pretty like wicked. I've seen people do it. it makes Pontiff's it, really they, readable, though. Dude. So that's the only reason why I would take away for that. I you know he's out. He's got all these negatives. He's very um, susceptible to being cheesed. But in, in all honesty, I'm not going to take any points away from it because it's still tough to pull him off. That's true. For for champion gun deer. Yeah, champion gun deer is nuts. So to reiterate, Ludix is the boss you fight at the very first game. Ludix gun deer, and then he transforms into champion gun deer, and that's when you're fighting his champion of ash version um, from when he was still alive, and. That's another thing that's cool that was talked about is presumably you are the person that has slayed him and has put him there to be um, uh, a sheath to the uh, coiled sword. Mm -hmm. Is you're the reason why he is there at the beginning of the game because you went and killed him in the Cemetery of Ash. Yep. So um, that's really cool. And that just goes further into how the game has cycles. But enough of that. Um, yeah, I think a 7.5 for me for Ludix and an 8.5 for Champion. Yep. And you said a 6 and an 8.5? Yes, sir. You got it. Yeah, if you guys if you guys do play this, just know um, it's tough and it gets better. <laughs> like high school. So anyway, <laughs> um, that's enough about my first boss. Um, Steve, if you can make it through it, tell us your first boss. My first boss that I chose was the Consumed King Osiris. And that's the boss that's just before the second Titan you fight Gundyr. Right? He's located in Lothric right after the Consumed Garden. I chose him, though, because although the boss fight isn't, like, super interesting, it is cool. I like it, the fact uh, when you first meet him, he's cradling the... um, the crossbreed dragon baby that he calls Ocelot that uh, he's holding this invisible baby as he's hitting you with the staff and he's blowing dragon stuff. So that confused me because I know that an Ocelot is a cat. Mm -hmm. So when he was calling this thing Ocelot, I was like, dude, it's just a cat. Like you got some (laughs) weird issues, buddy. My cat. My cat, dude. John Wick Dark Souls. Yeah. Cat child. 
But all that is really cool because the reason that he looks like Seath is because he took all of the research from Big Cat Logan. Yeah. And he just dove into the research. Just like he, he became obsessed. Well it was it was Seath's original research yeah. and and Big Hat Logan was looking into that from Seath's archives mm-hmm. in the um in the Grand Archives um in Lothric Castle. So Big Hat Logan was finding those and it caught the attention of Osiris. Yeah. And it's so cool because as he started like performing the sorceries that he learned, he became more, more, more like Seath because he was so consumed by like Seath and everything. And it's, and he actually is able to perform the Seath's crystal breath, which is nuts. Yeah. So for those that don't know Dark Souls lore, Seath is a dragon from the first game. He's the last dragon because he betrayed all of dragon kind um, in exchange to marry Guinevere, who was the um, Sun King Gwyn's uh, daughter. So he marries Guinevere and immediately starts like doing more and more research, more and more research, and uh, that caught Big Hat Logan's attention and now Osiris. And Osiris is living a very similar life to Seath in the fact that he is um, also married to a humanoid God, mm-hmm. I have that in my uh, in my bonus lore because there there have been crossbreeds known in the past of all the Dark Souls game, yep. such as from Dark Souls Two is the Emerald Herald and Dark Souls Three Yorshka. Emerald Herald is a yeah, crossbreed. Apparently, huh? I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. I was like, she has like no telling features, right? It's just nuts. Um, but with Yorshka and Priscilla from the first game. And it was theorized that Priscilla was the crossbreed of a lord and a dragon, maybe the offspring of Seath the Scalus and Guinevere. That is heavily believed, and, mm-hmm. it, and it would stand true because of where she resides in the painted world of uh, Arianus. And that is in the castle that all of um, Gwyn's descendants live in, and... You have to pass through this painting to get to that world. It would make sense if it is one of Gwyn's descendants that that's where it would be protected is inside of Gwyn's castle. Mm, and get this. In the first Dark Souls game, Priscilla can go invisible. Uh, you did tell me that. And there are a few, uh, few bosses that also go invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what's up with this, but Sister Freed also does. Mm-hmm. And I just think that I don't think that there's any correlation between the two, but I do think it's cool that two bosses in the painted world go invisible during the boss fight. I think that's super cool. Yeah. Uh, but more on Osiris, uh, it's cool that he becomes a blind pale drake and he thinks that he can use his blood for a greater purpose. And with that greater purpose, that's where Ocelot comes in because he fathers the child with the queen, which he called Ocelot. And yeah, Catboy. Catboy, yeah. You know, from uh, Pajama Masks? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'm PJ Masks. Oh, my gosh. Uh, anyway. Yeah, that's another lore, and we're not going to cover it on this podcast. That is way too dense. Yeah. I don't have the time to go over that with you. You'll have to read up on PJ Masks. Way too much. PJ Masks and My Little Pony, don't get me started. Yep. I can't do it. I can't do it. If you want to hear me talk about it, 
Buy tickets to Comic-Con. I have a whole panel on it. We'll talk about it then. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But after that Ocelot is born, the queen closes off the halls where Osiris gained all of his knowledge. She closes off the Grand Archivies. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we call it. (laughs) (laughs) And... um, he, they, she kept him walled off from everything else, guarded by all of the creatures of the deep in the consumed garden and all that. And Osiris is there. Well, he's completely ocelot. He's complete. Like Osiris is completely transformed at that point. Like yeah, he was, uh, I believe, a man, like a humanoid man. And um, through the research, he slowly became dragon-esque a pale drake and when you fight him that is exactly what he is like he even is like got these like little wings on his back Mm -hmm. and it's like hey guys this conversation is about to get pretty messy i'm sorry for getting so sidetracked thank you now i'm panicking Ah, I could really... Okay, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Because after I noticed that and heard this story, I had to think, at what point um, did Gwyn's hate for dragons outweigh the possibility of him gaining immortality by transforming into a, uh eternal drake? Oh. And that actually leads me. I'm gonna I'm gonna go off on a tangent because you know what I love tangents. I've been tangents. on this real bender lately where I believe Yorshka is <laughs> descendant of Gwyn, and this is only for Dark Soul like hardcore nerds because I don't have the time to describe all the backstory of all these characters. But um, <clears throat> Yorshka introduced in the third game, um, never heard of before, but she references uh, Gwendolyn, who will be talked about later, um, as her older brother, and. Uh, the ring for Guinevere names her as the eldest sister in the third game, but in the first game only as just the daughter of Gwyn. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, eldest daughter in the third game. My bad, my bad. <clears throat> sorry, it's too exciting. And then she keeps calling Gwyn Father Gwyn. Now, uh, these terms sound relatively monastic in the way that you'd be like, oh, elder brother Jonathan of so-and-so, you know if you were part of an organization like that, um, or Father Gwyn, you know, because it would be like uh, like a religious title. He was also a lord, too. He was. Um, so, like, there are these things that, like, kind of, like, slam that down, but I believe it's almost a well-known fact that she is an actual daughter of Gwyn at this point, and she, too, is half Drake. And I almost wonder if the reason why... Because that means that Gwyn had to have uh, a relationship with the dragon in order to to have Yorshka come about. So I wonder if he almost sought guidance from the dragons on immortality. And that is where we get Yorshka from, is from this relationship that was forged in, that, in those moments. Because uh, unbeknownst to new people... Uh, the whole story is based, the whole Dark Souls is based off of Gwen's hate of dragons and this giant war that was waged. So, um, yeah, uh, it's really cool lore to like think about and almost just confirmed uh, the more you dive into the lore. So, um, yeah, anyway, where were we at? <laughs> I might have something to add about your um, yes. thing with Yorshka. 
But that doesn't come into when I talk about Aldrich. Yes. Okay. So I can wait <laughs> or I can tell you now. No, we'll wait because then it'll keep the listeners on the edge of their seats just okay. waiting. I got it. What is it? <laughs> Let me in. Talk about your boss then. Let me in. <laughs> Let me in your mind. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about <laughs> Osiris? Because I'm way too excited about all the lore of this game to let you just finish talking, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> apparently. <laughs> no, I just think Osiris Osiris is a cool is a cool boss. His lore is like way more extensive than I thought he was. I thought he was just like What'd a one What'd you think about shot. his fighting? His fighting was... um Suck. It was pretty suck. Yeah, his boss fight's really not that hard. It's just like any other beast boss. Just stay in the backside of the legs, yep. and when he swoops you through tail, Left dodge flank. into him. Yep. Pretty easy stuff. Um, there's one really annoying part where he just like starts like charging back and forth, and we see that with a lot of the beast bosses. But his it, it, Sometimes he just does it too much. It's very annoying. There's actually a way to get him stuck. When he does that, mm -hmm. to where you can just cheese him. He gets stuck inside of one of the trees, and when he turns around, his whole character just goes, and you can just sit there in the front of the tree while he's stuck in like a corner, just. Fat, 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 fat. Yep. It's pretty great. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of cheese in these bosses. It's been cheese in every Dark Souls game. Uh, yeah, and there's a reason why Dark Souls bosses don't really go around ledges anymore. <laughs> 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 So <laughs> anyone that's found this podcast and thinks that's funny, shout us out on our social medias. You can find us on Facebook at Cosmic Thrill Seekers. You can find us on Instagram at Cosmic Thrilly Boys because we your boys. boys. You can find us on Twitter at Cosmic Seekers. And we are on TikTok as Cosmic Thrill Seekers. And if you don't like TikTok or you think it's a government-controlled uh, application used from China to get our information. That's fine. You can find all of that content also on Instagram as I post it from TikTok to Instagram. So enjoy us on both of those. Let us know in the comment sections anywhere you would like that you thought that joke was funny. Thank you. <laughs> but Osiris's <laughs> boss fight sucked. Plug right. walk. I think it's <laughs> lame. Like his spells are cool, his story is cool. The way he talks to you throughout the fight, very lore dense, very exciting. I love it. But he is not an original take on a beast fight, besides the ice spells that he has. And honestly, he's really slow up until you get him in his charging form in the second phase. So, uh, I would say three out of ten. Yeah, I I would go more of a four, just cause. Right. There was actually got a one up me, Steve. There was actually <laughs> a lot more lore with Osiris, but it was like I'm just talking in a combat perspective. Three out of ten. That's fair, uh, but they were like dissecting his voice lines that he says throughout the fight, and I was trying to like I was like maybe I write this down, but it was everything that he said, and I was like. Oof, I don't want a two-hour-long podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it was a he lot. He says a lot. It was a lot. I guess, you know what? That is a part of the that is a part of the boss mechanic in the fight is paying attention to the lore. So, mm -hmm. four out of ten. You're right. You deserve <sighs> Now that you know about Father Gwyn, the Lord, the one, the only, the bringer of the Age of Fire, ender of... The Age of Grey. This man's is a monster. He is like, he's not a good dad. 
to start off. He's not, not getting he's, he's not getting a number one dad t-shirt. He's not even getting a tie on Father's Day. This man's is the worst dad you can think of. Um, super just like almost like super villain-esque. Like But not even on purpose. No, it's on purpose. Uh kind of think about Gwendolyn's story. I mean, I guess that it's a little is true. messed that up. That is a little messed up. But he does get he is like consumed by his like overraging right, nope, nope, darkness. Nope, you 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 you've awoken the beast. I gotta talk about how evil this man is. <laughs> there you go. Okay, can hey, open worms everywhere. Hey Steve, pop quiz. If your son is born with deformities, do you A hide him away and never ever like tell people that he's your son and that he exists? Or B, do you still love him? Go. I should probably still love him. Yeah. Oh, bummer. That's not what Gwyn decided to do. <laughs> Gwyn said, hey, you're a deformed freak and you need to get out. You need to go in this back corner of the the uh, castle and you need to stay there. <sighs> no. Oh, wait. That's right. He runs himself hollow. He no. doesn't become hollow. Oh, I'm an idiot. No statues of him. No mention of him in the history books. Gwendolyn is completely gone. Um, now, here's one thing, though. Gwen recognizes that Gwendolyn has gifts with dark magic, which is primarily a feminine trait. Mm -hmm. So he raises his deformed son as a woman. That is so messed up. It's so messed up. That is so messed up. And you know what the sick part is? This is why Gwendolyn is my favorite of the children. <laughs> no matter what, he still wants his father's approval and oh. love. To the point where after Gwyn is like <clears throat> on his like last threads trying doing trying to do everything he can to salvage the age of fire and keep the fire alive. I mean, Gwendolyn creates a fake sun in the sky. Gwendolyn creates a fake image of his sister who has fled. I mean, Gwendolyn is literally keeping all of Anne Orlando running because he's trying to do everything he can in the name of his father. Mm -hmm. Even in place where the Nameless King, who is my next boss, um, where his statues stood, they are still hollow and empty. No mention of Gwendolyn. So, um, Gwendolyn had a brother, an older brother, and... Uh, his name is undetermined. Is no name. Nobody knows. Um, because he was the deity of war. He was the god of war, mm -hmm. and he led Gwyn's battle against the dragons to end the Age of Grey. Now, while fighting against the dragons, he realized that the dragons weren't evil. There's no reason to be doing this and actually decided to fight with the dragons because he thought what his dad was doing was wrong. He's wiping out an entire uh, species, an entire existence just to rule over the world. That's wrong. So he sides with the dragons and in doing so, uh, they have some sadness between them and there's still a good relationship between him and his father. He leaves the uh, sunlight uh, sunlight sword miracle uh, in his father's tomb almost as like like a parting like farewell 
So there's no, like, they're not hostile to each other. Um, but Gwyn is so enraged that his son is siding with the enemy that he strips him from all the history books, strips him of his God status. He's no longer mentioned in religious context at all. All of his statues, every, every like thing that could mention him ripped from the game. There is one place that it's maybe not ripped from the game. Did you see this part? I might've, I think I know what you're talking about. The Faram armor. Oh. So there is an armor set in Dark Souls 2. Mm -hmm. There is an army of Faramis. I believe that's what it is. I I believe. I didn't play that game. Don't come at me in the comments. Or do we need more activity out there? Come at him. If I pronounce that wrong, yell at me. I don't care. I'll tell you you're stupid for yelling at me. So (laughs) thank you for commenting. (laughs) And also thank you. Tips my hat, my lady or lord. Um, (laughs) So anyway, um, there is an armor set. Uh, the armor of Faram, who is a god of war. Now, that's not to draw a perfect parallel to this god of war, but Faram is a god of war. And after he goes, goes missing, the uh, Faramis nation also falls. So this whole nation uh, is fighting in the name of the god of war and pro- uh, being very prosperous. Uh, and then once he disappears, uh, once Faram disappears, the nation also falls which stands to reason that this nameless king could be him because i mean he has to rule over somewhere he's not just going to stay where his dad is Mm -hmm. so um this could be his realm now this armor set on the helmet does depict a knight who is supposed to be faram the god of war fighting against a dragon on the other side that's why people think it could be the nameless king, and this could be his name is Faram. It wouldn't follow that uh, his dad is Gwyn, his brother is Gwendolyn, and his sister is Guinevere. But we also have discussed with you that there's a possible fourth child, Yorshka. So that doesn't follow that either. So it That's could true. be Faram. That's true. You can actually get that armor still in Dark Souls Three. Yep. Uh, yep. You can purchase it from the Handmaiden. Super uh, cool set. Very cool. Good set. for fashion souls. Now, you can also get the Nameless King's armor after he has gone to Archdragon Reach to side with the dragons. When you get there, he is partnered. Um, when he uh, starts fighting with the dragons, he is partnered with a dragon, mm-hmm. uh, which is a long-horned Oni or something like that. I don't know. It's something Sounds horned cool. Oni. And um, that's what we believe it to be because uh, there's a bunch of reasons. I'm not going to... This is already long-winded. Um, so anyway, this boss fight is one of my favorite boss fights cinematically and story-wise. Like this man has been cast out, stricken out of the records of his kingdom. And he doesn't even care. He is living with the creatures that he decided. No, the, these do not need to all go extinct. There, there are still dragons in the game. Obviously, um, in the first game, we find out that snakes are technically like the human version of dragons mm-hmm. and they're lesser creatures. But yes, so Wyverns. dragons are all over in the games still, but the ancient dragons that were immortal have been wiped out mm-hmm. besides. Oh, no. Seath is also gone in the third game now. So, yeah, all of them. But Seath wasn't immortal because he didn't have the scales, but he wasn't. Yeah, he he, he wasn't ancient. Scales. Yes. Um so, 
this boss fight, when I tell you the reason why I chose this, it's going to just break your little heart after knowing that he's been cast out to live with these creatures. He loves them dearly. When you fight this man, he appears on his lightning chicken. (laughs) (laughs) And that is his partner. That is, they are bonded. And um, that is his dragon or his oni that he is riding. When you make it through the first phase of this fight, his dragon, oni, whatever, is too wounded to go on. And you have to watch him hesitate. But he hesitates knows, for like a good solid five seconds, and, too. And he knows what he has to do, and he puts it out of its misery, and it just breaks him. But when he does, he becomes imbued with its lightning magic. And man, when I say this man's comes for your soul, oh, he he's going to snatch that. He's going to snatch that like your weave. He's just going to snatch it up. <laughs> and we lose to this man. This so is many a times. Hard, this is a hard fight. I mean, not only mechanically is, is the Nameless King got like crazy poise, mm-hmm. does a lot of damage. He's very fast. But the way the camera reacts, I think it's because <laughs> of the area. You're technically floating above another area. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a narrow hallway situation that you can fall off of. Learn that the hard way. Yep. Uh, so be careful about your spacing, I guess. <laughs> um, but this man's comes for your soul and he's all over the battlefield. The camera's going crazy. The, the music is so good for this fight. Everything is so good. And when you realize... You went and fought yet another boss fight that you didn't have to fight. And you killed this man who was ran from his country, just killed basically his best friend, the creature that was soul bonded with him. And then you kill him. It, it hits. It hits different. It hits different. There's a reason why... I fashion souls as the nameless king. There's a reason why he's one of my favorite bosses of all time. <laughs> Damn. And it's because his story, it is part of what dark souls means. It's awesome. And it, it, it speaks to the unfairness of the world that they live in. I have a little bit of tidbit of lore for him that might just blow your mind because he didn't touch on it. Do it. So when he was fighting with his father to exterminate the dragons, it was theorized that he led the Sunlight Covenant, which is why yeah, he, he gave the no, sword to his... that he did. Oh, okay. So it is confirmed that he did. Yeah. Something that He was I... leader of the Sunlight Warriors. That was the army that Gwyn founded and he was the leader of. You remember that statue... In the first Dark Souls game? Yes. Okay, no. Do you want me to tell it? Because you're right. And I want to tell it because this was... It blew my mind. This was an (laughs) 8-bit live wallpaper on my laptop for months for a reason. It's because in the first Dark Souls game, you'll encounter a dragon and just past that dragon, which is almost like a little nod. Mm -hmm, Almost mm -hmm. to like the story. Before the game even came out. Well, it's not like a nod to the game. It's like a nod to... This is like of dragons. So you will come to an area after the dragon bridge, after you meet Solaire, and there will be a statue that is just rubbish at this point. And this is the leader of the Sunlight Warriors. 
And a lot of people, like, they don't know who it is. They don't know what it is. This is one of the statues of the nameless king that has been tore down, Mm -hmm. stripped from the land in not Gwyn's rage, but in his need to preserve what he has built. He's trying to protect his family. He's trying to protect the fire. So he needs to get rid of everything about the nameless king. And you're right. In the first game, we see one of the statues that has been torn down. And when we get to Anorlando, we see the space on the left of Gwyn that is empty where the nameless king stood. Yup. And that was a question that you asked me like forever ago. And I was like, I have no idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I knew who it was because I remember watching a lore video and they talked about it, but I couldn't think of it for like the life of me because once I put that 8-bit wallpaper on, I was like, I got to remember who this is because it's, it's, my, it's my work desk. It's my work laptop. It's not, <laughs> it's not my at-home playtime. I see it every day. So um, uh, now, now it's an 8-bit of um, the first bonfire in Irithel. Oh, Which yeah, that's right. Absolutely gorgeous. So anyway, uh, Steve, you're right. Thank you for reminding me of that because that is an example of one of the things that is telling throughout the story uh, of all the Souls games. It makes me even sadder that he's a son, bro. Well, he was the son. He was he the was son, bro. the son, bro. Yeah, <laughs> he was the sad. son, bro. Um. <laughs> One thing that really breaks me is I think him and Solaire would have been great friends. Oh, yes. They would have. <laughs> Jolly they cooperation. Oh, dude, that just made me think of like, you know, like the Spider-Man memes of them like <laughs> yeah. arm, arms going back. Because there's a Dark Souls it, video of that. Okay. I don't know if I've seen that, but oh, oh no, so it, Alex had it on earlier. Okay. I caught a <laughs> glimpse of it, but yes, Solaire and the Nameless King would just do that and just like strike everything down with the power of sunlight. <laughs> Honestly. Power of friendship. That's why Miyazaki had him stripped from the land and had him taken away because those two together would have been too powerful. There would have been no game left for the player because everything would have already been handled. That's freaking awesome. Uh, So what are you going to rate the Nameless King? I give him an eight. You give him an eight? Yep. I think it's an all-around super fun boss fight. I don't give him like a nine or a ten because of the camera mechanics. That's super annoying when you're locked on. You'll typically die to camera mechanics more than him himself it's almost better to just do that fight unlocked almost (laughs) Almost. (laughs) it's not but it's almost um yeah i could see that and he's got a lot of moves that uh are pretty tough Mm -hmm. and he's very quick and he's just got he's just got a lot going on and i think you're absolutely right that's an eight it's an eight for sure Uh, i would have actually gone lower because it's a pretty quick boss fight if you fight it well. If you fight it and you have fought it before. <laughs> yeah, if you know what's going on, it's a pretty... Well, I mean, I think it's quick either way because either he's going to kill you or you're going to kill him. That's fair. It's a quick boss fight. Do you remember the first time we fought him? It's not like um, it's not like Sister Freed who has three cinematics oh and phases gosh. and is drawn out. It's like a whole... It's like a whole game in and of itself. It's a whole her. Dragon Ball episode. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, and then you beat her, and it's like, will she come back to life? Tune in next time on Dark Souls Three. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah, 
Um, but you know, it's a very fast fight. Either you're going to kill him or he's going to kill you. It's super quick. Stomp um, or stompy. Yeah. Eat or be eaten. And, um, I, I think the reason why I bump him up to an eight is because of it's the cinematic. It's him <sighs> hesitating as he has to do what he has to do. I mean, it's, it's everything. Anyway, so Steve, uh, now that I've rambled for a while, uh, go ahead, tell us about your second boss, because we still have two, two more of yours and one more of mine to get through. My second boss is Aldrich Devourer of Gods, which is such a freaking awesome name. It is. And... You know what? You know what that name's got me like, Steve? It's got you like... Oh, yeah! It's got me like, oh, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I love, I love, I, oh my God, look, look at this, look, huh. <laughs> oh I have God. so much lore, I'm going to try and cut it down, but Aldrich, it's, it's throughout the entire game. Okay, I need to, I need to paint this picture for everyone. I came into this, I like refreshed my memory with a few videos and was like, I got it all up here in my head, steel trap. Steve came in here with notes. Like, he was so prepared. And I was like, sheesh. <laughs> well, because I know I wasn't going to remember. I have a really bad memory. Yo, it had me like, <laughs> don't look at me. Now I'm panicking. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Cease. Yeah, thanks for those, those sound bites. <laughs> but Aldrich is super cool. And just to just to put it out there, I'm getting all of my sources from Vati Vidya. I don't want to be like yeah, yelled at uh, for plagiarizing. Yep. Uh, our our lore comes mostly from that man and some other creators on YouTube. <laughs> Daddy Vati. Daddy Vati. <laughs> Ooh, that's so funny. But anyway, um, one of the first like uh, references to Aldrich that you get in the game is from the very first part of the game in Fire Link Shrine, from the deserter, he gives you this voice line at some point, and he goes, because he's talking about Aldrich, he's talking about a right and proper cleric, and he developed a habit for devouring men. He ate so many that he bloated like a drowned pig and then softened into sludge. So they stuck him in the Cathedral of the Deep and made him a Lord of Cinder, not for virtue, but for might. Yep. I want to I want to say something. You said he's a cleric. Um, you know who hates clerics? Who? Patches. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. We'll have to do a uh, we'll have to do a Dark Soul app on uh, the NPCs. Yes, we will cuz you just boggled my memory about Patches in the first game with the first cleric you meet in Firelink mm -hmm. Shrine there mm -hmm. and you meet Patches and he's like that wretched cleric. He hates clerics. <laughs> he hates them. I don't even know why. You'll have to enlighten me on that episode. Stay tuned for more. Anyway. Anyway, um he was a simple he was a simple saint that became a hugely powerful like hugely powerful like entity he devoured gods mm -hmm. like you think of that and i'm a little salty about <laughs> some of them he's devoured <laughs> it's it's so cool and um we don't know if he was if he either chose to become a lord of cinder or if he was given the power of the lord of cinders just for like i said his sheer might um because with his power he could link the flame he yeah could link the fire there's something even in one of the item descriptions of the deacons, the deacon's skirt. 
Um, it says that the deacons tended to the flame and that they might mean that they were tending to Aldrich's flame when he was a Lord of Cinder, not like the flame. You know Correct. what I mean? And, and to be clear, Lords of Cinder sacrificed themselves yeah. to kindle the fire. Mm-hmm. Either by choice or by not choice, yeah. apparently. Yep. <laughs> if you're strong enough, sorry. <coughs> You got drafted, son. I think the reason why I like Aldrich's lore so much is because it does delve into so many different parts of the game. Like, right now, well, in in the game, you find Aldrich in Irithyll Borough Valley because he is one of Pontiff Sullivan's lackeys. Like, he's one of his right-hand man, basically, at this point. I don't know if it's a lackey or just, like, a um, like a mutual power grab. Yeah, I feel like probably. It's definitely mutual, and Pontiff will be my last one, so I'll talk a little bit more about that mm-hmm. in mine. Yeah, that's true. Um, but you find him there, but the lore that I found, it starts you all the way over in the, the Cathedral of the Deep. It's so cool because... There was this archdeacon, MacDonald. Um, he was an inherent of Aldrich, and he was largely res- responsible for the corruption of the deacons because the deacons, they were mostly powered by faith until Aldrich was cast into the deacons of the deep. And after he became this huge, powerful deity, when that happened, he was consumed by darkness, and their faith, be- they became more inherent to dark sorceries and whatnot mm-hmm. and, and i'll talk on that because that affects pontiff as well a little bit yeah yeah um under the mcdonald's leadership the deacons became a clergyman and sorcerers and for the deacons that was what they called a sin the sin was the channel of the faith to the sorcery which transformed the mcdonald's staff from a symbol of religious authority to a catalyst for dark sorcery. Which, yep. How nuts is that? Oh, it's it's really crazy, especially because of where you find McDonald in the third yeah. Dark Souls. You find him in the bottom, in the pits of Anerlanda, where he is huge and bloated, just like Aldrich, the person that he devoted all of his time to, because the deacons thought of that, like, while he gained power as a deity just by consuming people, why don't we? Yeah. And you are bringing him human dregs. Yeah. Is he consuming those for power? He's got to be because that's, that's so messed up. He's super bloated. And that was where he was practicing those dark magics was down there. Mm-hmm. And guarded by two of the um, uh, dogs of yep. uh, in Orlando. I don't know what they're actually called. The just giant beasts that look like dog rat. I, I think exposed rib cage. if you repost one of them. And they don't oh, die. If they'll land over back. on his back and they'll pray. Yeah. It's honestly really messed up because of all the uh, creatures that you fight in this game, um, it, it is showing of what I'll talk about next, where some of these creatures aren't fighting because they're malicious. They're just being controlled. I have a theory that the, the dog creatures <clears throat> are maybe one or a couple of deacons transformed by dark sorceries into that creature. Mm, I'll talk about it. I'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Okay. So the deacon still had faith, but it was no longer in the fire. It was to Aldrich himself, the saint of the deep and their master. When Aldrich was resurrected because he was resurrected, he, as well as the other cinders thought deeply about 
the fading of the fire. And for him, it inspired a vision on the age of the deep, which is like past the age of cinder. Yeah. And even further towards that, the age of the deep waters and as well as the age of the deep sea. And this fills him with a huge greater purpose. And that's to devour the gods himself. Because in order to be able to get past the Lord of the Age of Cinder, he would have to have the power of multiple gods in order to invoke that. So what does he do? He eats them. Who all does he eat, Steve? Oh, let me tell you. When you get <laughs> when you get to the Deacons of the Deep, oh, God. Aldrich had already left to Irithal. I love I love sorry, I gotta say, I love how you answer that. Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you. Let me tell you who he devours, okay? But um, uh, when you when you meet the Deeks of the Deep, he's not there. The his coffin is empty. It's what do you big, get? You get a small doll oh. in his place, which he left there on purpose because it was it was given to him by Pontiff, um, because he uh, Pontiff only gave it to the people that he considered his valued subjects. And when you inspect the doll. It says this, wherever you go, the moon sets in Irithyll. Wherever you may be, Irithyll is your home. Yep. <clears throat> and that's awesome. And he goes back. He goes back to Irithyll. And he gives that to people as like a way of saying, come to Irithyll, rule alongside me. I will be technically above you in status, but I I want to work together. Yep. And uh, when he leaves, that's when McDonald... It, goes with them and you find you find him in the depths in Anorlando and all that. McDonald, he leads the Aldrich faithful and that their sole purpose is defending Aldrich and keeping him undisturbed for a very specific reason. And that is because what we find out when we go to fight him is that he wants to remain undisturbed because Pontiff locked up Gwendolyn to be fed on by Aldrich. <laughs> Which is crazy. So I want to talk about that Gwendolyn is left in Anne Orlando because of what I was talking about earlier, that even though his abusive alcoholic father, <laughs> who just threw Estes bottles at him and just was a bad father, um, he stayed because he was trying to keep Anne Orlando the same. Now, this goes in to my stuff. So... You keep going, and then I'll talk about it. So as he gradually devoured the god of the dark moon, he dreams. He and he dreams about a pale girl who can be identified as Yorshka, Gwendolyn's younger sister. And what's cool about that is that Aldrich only needs to dream of someone to use their skills. That's it. No way. Yeah, he literally just has to dream clear enough. And he can use their skills. And what's so cool, in his boss fight, he uses Priscilla's life hunt scythe. Yorshka. He dreamt about Yorshka and is able to use the life hunt scythe. Okay, what about the arrows? The arrows, I don't know where that comes from. It didn't touch on that. But when I read that, my mind blew. And also, his spear is part, the, the blade part, is um from a sorcery that you can get from Nito in the first game called the Grave Lord Sword. So another god. 
Yeah, another god. And that's something that people theorize because his cape looks like Nito's cape, but Nito dies in the first game, so they don't know if he's resurrected and Aldrich consumes him Ooh. or if he dreams hard enough about Nito and gains his powers. He might gain his powers, but not his physical material things. Now, one thing that Dark Souls 3 talks about more than any other game is cycles. Yep. Everything is in cycles. Mm-hmm. And, and this is why we see the dragon armor in every game. Why we beat the dragon armor multiple times. It's because things are bound to repeat themselves when they are in cycle. Mm-hmm. So... um it could be that um, in a new cycle when Aldrich was the uh, one that was going to need to gain power to link the first flame, he could have fought against Nito, and that is when he obtained his stuff. Yep. Isn't that nuts? Yeah, that is nuts. I think the part that he, all he needs to do is dream about someone, and he's like, oh, thanks for your powers, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I don't know if nowhere else have we seen that, um, arrow spell. So I would love to like find out where he got that. I want to say that he probably got that from the, um, archives of the deacons. Okay. I want That's my theory. It could be. I don't know why they would have that though. Like they could have sorceries, but, uh, I don't know if they'd have that. I don't know. I don't know. Could be from there. Could be from somebody else. I mean, we are pretty positive that there isn't going to be a Dark Souls 4. I'm pretty sure they've already confirmed that. Because only big that. Dark Souls. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure they've already confirmed that they're done with Dark Souls. Um, if not, though, you know, if they could wrap up some of these storylines, like everything's so open-ended. In a game that um, is about cycles and repeating, it makes sense that things would be open-ended because what you witness might not have a conclusion in this world, but maybe in another time for in another timeline with other champions of Ash, we'd see new things. I mean, in Orlando changes uh, in your uh, cycle with Anri and you getting married in the tomb of Gwyn. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that is something that wouldn't have happened in any other uh, cycle before yours and is happening only in yours. So it, it, it stands to reason that maybe there was like a whole other God or maybe another being that he witnessed use that arrow spell and that's how he got it. So fair. Um, super cool. Is mm-hmm. that, is that all the people? Yeah, that was, that was it. I, I like Aldrich because the the fighting isn't actually all that bad, except for her infinite arrows. That can get really annoying, but I found a way to get behind that. Yeah. We just roll past them, and we, they then just keep rolling back and forth. Then the arrows are just stay in one spot. I was like, whoa, I'm a genius. You can <laughs> do that, or um, you can cast spell uh, spell shield or whatever it is. And uh, they'll like kind of like ting off you, like if you had an umbrella on. Yep. Wait, <laughs> what? Yeah, like the the spell that like blocks uh, magics. <laughs> you can use that. Are you serious? Yeah, I can't remember what that spell's called, but yeah. So while you're sitting over That's there, so sh- stupid. While you're sitting over there spamming roll, a lot of other people are just like, oh, I'm gonna take this spell with me, and now they can't touch me. 
I'm so angry right now. Wait, what? <laughs> I just broke Steve. I'm sorry, everyone. I just There's broke. no way it's not that e- it's not that easy. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm so angry right now. Another thing that really upsets me about those arrows is that if you do get caught by them, it's over. Oh yeah, big time. They do so much damage and they are unending and I've only had it a few times where I've gotten caught by them and survived and it's because like they caught me at like the last little bit of them. It's terrible. It's so a, it's a catch your breath. You're like, <laughs> I say six out of 10 for Aldrich. For Aldrich, I give it, I give it an eight out of 10. Yeah. For, for combat. I really enjoy it. There's, there's the mechanic that he, or yeah, that he goes down, pops up in a different area um, there's the mechanic of explosions. So you have to like know when to be close, oh, when to be true. far away. Um, you can't just stay far away because of uh, his abilities. Um, I do think that I, all around, like he's a difficult boss. He's got a lot of mechanics going on, but he is fun to fight against. Like he's one of my favorites. I look forward to him every time. He's very frustrating, mm-hmm. but it is one that I actively look forward to, especially after the long hall to get there oh my god so that area in orlando that you travel through to get to aldrich is infested with a million npc villains or npc baddies that are just designed to ruin your day um there's the in orlando archery club that will shoot you with explosive arrows that like explode with force to knock you off of the um ledges very frustrating but they've been practicing for a long time so you know, hats <laughs> off to that club um don't forget about the aldrich faithfuls yep the aldrich faithful club is down there and they um you know they meet on tuesdays and then you also have the dark moon blades which is my favorite club we meet every day because we are the blue spirits that are here to protect you now now it's the third game we're here to protect you but um, if you catch me out there in the first game, I'm coming for you. There's one thing that I just remembered that I forgot about McDonald. If you give him enough bone shackles, he disappears. Yeah. He's just gone. But it's it's only after you get like the um, the covenant rewards. After you get everything, he just and I think There's that's no because I think it's because at that point he's power enough, powerful enough to get to Aldridge's height. I don't know if he's that powerful, but he's definitely on to bigger things. Like maybe he's ready to like consume higher beings. Because when when he leaves, there's the black sludge in his place. Yep. So maybe. Oh, but yeah, he's not quite at Aldrich, but he is. He's he's, getting there. Yeah. I want to go back to something you said. You you, you talked about how Aldrich, uh, Aldrich devoured the dark moon god mm-hmm. and that's who i talked about earlier gwendolyn your favorite my favorite Second my favorite. baby boy my darling boy um he is, he's like my favorite character in all of dark souls at this point like from the lore that i've read like he is like pure of heart he's just trying to do his best he serves uh at the mast of the knights of the dark moon blade which is a, a faith-driven mm-hmm. um, covenant. Oh, cool. And um, it's very cool. And the cool thing about it is in Dark Souls 1, your purpose is to, for this covenant, you invade other worlds like how you do in Dark Souls 3 as a red spirit, but you do it as a blue spirit because what they've done is they have sinned in some way against this covenant's beliefs and they are on your hit list. 
like you go into their world to take them out. Mm-hmm. You know, they're in the they're in the books. So um, like Santa Claus is naughty list. You know, you go beat the crap out of those ones. So t- t- tell your kids, you know, watch out. Uh, keep your head on a swivel. Make sure you got oranges in your stockings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I don't know what that means. Krampus, man. Oh, Krampus. I thought it was like a bar of soap in a pillowcase situation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So anyway, um, cue the laughter. (laughs) 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 So anyway, um, yeah, you invade um, to right the wrongs of their sins, which is really cool. And in the third Dark Souls game, the leader is no longer Gwendolyn. Obviously, he's been consumed. And Yorshka talks about Gwendolyn. Yorshka talks about it. Gwendolyn was the leader of the Covenant. She doesn't really know much about the Covenant. She wasn't really around while it was like operational. She just knows that most of the knights are gone. And that's because of Pontiff Sullivan. We'll get to his story in a minute. But Gwendolyn's like my favorite. And this Covenant is just so gnarly. When you see Aldrich, he is basically wearing Gwendolyn's head or body. No, he is. 100%. So he looks like Gwendolyn because he's just consumed Gwendolyn. And um, if you played the first game, you'd recognize the the crown and everything. And it's it's very horrific. Like, if you know why Aldrich looks like that, if you know the lore, it's like Jeepers Creepers. Yeah. It is disgusting and vile and horrifying. Mm -hmm. It is horror in its core. Now, let's talk about Pontiff and why Aldrich is where he is and why the Dark Moon Blades are where they're at in terms of status and members. So the Dark Moon Blades um, (coughs) were led by Gwendolyn. Now they're led by Yorshka, the youngest sister. When they were still led by Gwendolyn, I believe, Pontiff joined. So let's talk about young Pontiff. All right. Pontiff comes from the painted world of Ariandel. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people know that unless you watch Vatividia's video. Daddy Vati. Daddy Vati. Daddy Vati. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and... He comes from the painted world of Ariandel, and Vati talks about this where um, he the world of uh, Ariandel is where those who have nothing left in other realms go because th- they've lost everything. And they're like wounded people living in a horrible, barren wasteland that is like gross and terrible, but like it's like safe from the chaos of the rest of the world. So, growing up there, he hadn't lost anything. And he was a very powerful sorcerer with frost magic. So, he leaves to go back out of the painting into um, what is Irithyll. He finds his way to Irithyll. Once he's in Irithyll, he actually travels down through the dungeons, down into the profaned capital... Now, the reason why it's called the Profaned Capital is so integral to his lore into another Lord of Cinder, Yorm, that we're not going to talk about. He didn't make our list, although he's up there in favorites. Like, he's cool. We discussed talking about him. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a fire in the Profaned Capital that is known as the Profaned Flame. 
And it is known as this because it does not abide by the laws of fire. It cannot go out because it is imbued with power of the abyss, which makes it very dark, evil flame. Pontiff goes down there and, you know, he left his world because he wanted more. He knew he deserved more. He dips his sword in the profane flame. And he leaves the profane capital and goes back up to Irithyll with profaned flame on his blade. <laughs> now, that's important, and we'll come back to why that's important. From this point, he's ready to seize power and go up through the ranks of something. And what does he notice? Oh, here is this uh, knighthood of dark moon blades, and they look like they're doing something magical and I'm a, I'm a powerful sorcerer. He climbs through the, he uh, becomes a member of the dark moon blades and climbs through the ranks to the point where he is given the judgment greatsword. Oh my gosh. Which is what? a holy relic to the dark moon blades, which again, this is why they're like my favorite covenant. Um, <laughs> he gets this holy relic and when you fight him, as a player, he has two blades. One that is fire. That is his greatsword that is covered in profane flame. And he has another one that is purple, which uses dark moon magic and is the sword of judgment from the dark moon blade covenant. You can also get that in Dark Souls 1. Yes. And 2, I think. I think so. Um, so, that is awesome. Mm-hmm. Now that he has these... And the Great Sword of Judgment uses magic that is very similar to sorceries. While everyone else in the Covenant is using miracles, he is a sorcerer, which is uh, similar to miracles, but it's more of like an artist way of doing it. And it's, it's very frowned upon because it's like twisting what is the beautiful magic of miracles into more sometimes evil things and mm-hmm. it's gen generally frowned upon um especially in Anne orlando because that is where gwen is and it is seen as an evil thing that would end the age of fire so it is super not okay that's why he brings in aldrich later so we'll get back to that he is now leader of the dark moon blades because he has locked away gwendolyn mm-hmm and now that he leads basically the militia of the area, <laughs> he and he's very well respected. You know, he's, he's doing this all from the inside. Like he's climbed the ranks. He's made friends here and there. And he pretty much starts like a revolt. He pretty much starts like a revolt. And as a tyrant, because of his status, because of his capabilities, he declares himself the pontiff, which is like the head cleric of uh, all of Anne Orlando, which is devout to Gwyn. But that's just a title to him as he just considers himself the new king of Anne Orlando and uh, Irithyll, calling himself Pontiff Sullivan. Pontiff being titular. Mm-hmm. So now that he's leader... How does he control his subjects? With the profane flame and the dark abyss magic from Aldrich. So the abyss magic, he spreads into his soldiers. 
all of his footmen, they are like rusting, being eaten away at like the insect-like uh, creatures that gnaw at the darkness of the yeah. abyss. And you'll see that in like their, uh, some of their armor and s- their weapons for sure that there are holes in them. Some were given the power of the profane flame and those are the fire witches. Oh, yeah. The that fire. makes so much more sense. They're it's, so stupid. It's profane flame. So it's abyss magic. It's evil. It's power. It's, just terrible stuff. I wonder it does so much damage. Now, the reason why he has um, done this is because of power and control. Now, anyone who has power and control wants more power and control. So what he does is he imbues um, the abyss into certain subjects creating the Outrider Knights. These are like his elite death squad but he uses them as watchers, their eyes and ears watching over areas and people. And two of the most notable dancer of the Boreal Valley, mm-hmm. Irithil, and Vort. Mm-hmm. Now, these two, the reason why I say them like that is because they both are in the very beginning of the game. One, when you go into the Lothric Castle, that's the dancer. And one that you actually fight at the beginning of the game, which is Vort. So, the reason why we know that these two have lore together, Vort and the Dancer, is because there are these ghosts that walk through the streets of Irithil, and it is believed that it is the soldiers or the outriders, um, anyone that was imbued with this darkness that um, eats away at them, it is like they're life before that are these ghosts walking around and there's one set of ghosts that you can see one is a tall lanky woman and the other is a man that is vort and the dancer of the boreal you know that makes so much more sense why they come into the boss fight cinematic the way that they do they do that's nuts so the reason why um vort is a brute is because he was a guard to the uh, to the dancer of the Boreal before she was even a dancer when the royal family ruled there. And the dancer is actually a descendant of Gwyn. That's why they were living in Anne Orlando is because Gwyn and his descendants, that is like the holy city. That is where they live. Um, so after Pontiff seizes control, he forces the descendant of Gwyn, the dancer of the Boreal. She was a gifted dancer, so he says you're going to be a dancer for the court. You're almost like a jester, but like just a performer for me, the royalty. It's so twisted. It's pretty messed up. And he assigns Vort to guard her. When she proves that she can be a, that she has useful combat skills, he then, just like himself, imbues one of her swords with profane flame and the other one with dark moon magic. Bruh. I know. Hold I up. I know. She is basically like... Baby pontiff. <laughs> essentially. <laughs> um, but with like... Her moveset is all from being a dancer. And she's being such a hard nimble. boss too. Yeah, she's tough. So the reason why all that is important is because it all is about pontiff. He seized control and he created these outriders and he sent them to different locations to watch over things. You fight so many outriders throughout the entire game and 
he sends all of these out to like watch over things. This is like him going for a power grab. Now he's got Aldrich on his side, who is only becoming more and more powerful. Like he locked up Gwendolyn and it fed him to Aldrich. So Aldrich has more God power. And um, he has all of these outriders in the area scouting things, even up through Lothric Castle. Now think about this. The princes are like locked away and pretty defenseless. If, if Pontiff, Aldrich, and the Outriders were to storm the twin princes, they would have, they would have lost so fast. Pontiff would have been the new king of Lothric. Bro. Yep. That used to be Osiris. Yep. It was Osiris. And then it was the twin princes. Um, yeah, it, just crazy. Like, his whole story is insane. Now, let's talk about combat. When you come hmm. in, you're in the Cathedral of Anne Orlando. Um, obviously, it's a religious city. The cathedral's pretty much the, the center point, even before you get to the castle. So, um, it is actually the bridging point between, you keep hearing us say, Irithyll, and Anne Orlando, it is the bridging point between the two is just past the cathedrals, Anne Orlando, prior to that is Irithyll. So you walk into the boss fight, and he pulls out his two swords, and he starts slowly walking towards you. Anime. I was going to say anime AF. Anime AF. It is so amazing. Like He is full on, Jojo, why are you walking <laughs> towards me? <laughs> Dude. You cannot fight me without getting close to me. And it's like a whole thing. And um, then... You start smacking the crap out of him. And he's got good moves. You know, easily dodgeable, though. He has a second phase. And the reason why I've already referenced JoJo is because this man pulls out a stand. That's right. He's a stand user. And he has a shadow copy of himself mimicking his movements and both of them attacking you with the same attack. So it's just brutal. Once you get to his second phase, it's just like he's like, yuddy, yuddy. Mm -hmm. Like it's just everything feels so anime about it. He just like pulls out this shadow. Now these are his dark sorceries. These yep. are all sorceries. This man who... Um, pretended to be a miracle caster to rise through the ranks and used all these sorceries as a very powerful sorcerer that learned inside the painted world of Ariandel. He came from nothing and had the largest power grab to take everything. Yep. And almost succeeded. It's nuts. Until we came. <laughs> it was honestly like... It, without the uh, champions of Ash, it would have ended that way. And that's like the whole premise of the game is things are getting so derailed and we need to get things like wipe the slate clean and come back is because without us, this would happen and the world would succumb to an evil flame, the profane flame and the darkness of the abyss. Just that's why I wanted to talk about this is Pontiff, even though he's in the middle of the game, he is not a final boss in any way. He is the truest evil mm -hmm. in this entire game because he doesn't even come from this world and he almost conquered it. Yep. That, to me, like makes him the coolest villain lore-wise. Combat-wise, 
his move set's a little weak, but he is still tough. You have to get in close to hit him. Um, he doesn't move too fast unless he's doing an attack to you. So I've seen a lot of people cheese it where they, at the beginning, just keep casting and backing up, and he just, like, keeps walking to you. The fight never, like, really starts. And you can parry his first attack. Yeah, so, and you can, you can parry all of his uh, stuff. Well, not, not, not all not, of it. I mean, his first attack, every time he attacks you, you can parry it. That's yeah. what I meant. You can just parry him the entire fight. I, I watched a person beat him drunk just by parrying him. So See, people are nuts. Combat-wise, what do you want to rate him, Steve? I want to rate him at least a 7, maybe an 8. For combat? Yeah, he, before, when I first played that game, he was so hard for me. He was so hard for me to beat. And when I beat him, I was like, Okay, but you got to take something away from him being literally, like, parryable to death. I mean, that's true. Uh, Which, for those that don't know, parrying... When somebody attacks you, you literally just smack it out of the way, and there's this whole animation where then you get a critical strike on them, and there's a and it just does a, an insane amount of damage. And if you can do that without taking a single scratch from this man, just over and over and over again, I That's think true. you take a little bit away. That's true. I, I'd probably give it at least a six then. I say six because you're right. If you're not parrying, it's a tough fight, and we usually go in there squatted up like. I summon everybody. Like <laughs> I, I use a dried finger to summon an extra person. Like we, we roll in their squad deep. Like we, we need to get this man's. And I usually let the phantoms take the fall. I want to know why the dried finger lets you summon another person. Like That's what so the story weird. is yeah. behind it. I don't know. Out of context. Cause out of context, people are like, what? Yeah, you're right. That, that's an item in game that just <laughs> expands like how open your world is to other things like things you can summon or also enemies that can invade you and be a problem. But if you use it right before a boss fight, once you enter the boss fight, you cannot be invaded. So so that's it for Pontiff Sullivan. Steve, take it away with the last boss of this episode and the last boss of this game. Not talking about DLC. No, not talking about DLC. Well, besides, even anyway, you have to beat the DLC before you even beat this final boss. Oh, yeah, because once you, you can't beat even get him. their stuff. It's like endgame. That's endgame. You can be, you can, no, you can go to the DLC after beating the final boss. Well, you can, but you don't get any of their stuff until you redo your playthrough. Right, because you can't, uh, you can't, um, use their souls. Yeah. You've already linked the first flame, which destroys the guy that lets you trade in souls, mm -hmm. but you can go back and fight the other bosses after beating Soul Cinder. Technically, you can go back and do anything yeah. after beating Soul Cinder. So, no matter what, this is the last boss of the game. You beat him, and you can move on to the next playthrough. That's how we'll decide it. Anyway, last boss of this podcast, last boss of this game. Go. I'll be Soul Cinder, and he. Okay, this is my favorite boss fight, and for a lot of reasons, it's. Uh, for the reasons I'll say... It's your favorite? It is my favorite. Okay. It is my favorite. And I'll just... I'll jump into the lore. And the the soul of Cinder is a being that chastises the lords for going without thrones. But ever since Lord Gwyn, the first lord of Cinder, the very first one, which is Gwyn, um, many exalted lords have linked the first flame. And it is... Their very souls that have manifested as the defender, the soul of Cinder, 
of the flame. And it's clear that the soul of Cinder is a mixture of all the players, which is us, us playing the game that have linked the first flames in all the other games and any of the other playthroughs that you've done. And you can, you, that's shown by him using a mixture of different weapons in the game, like the scimitar and great swords and different sorceries and different pyromancies. He even, when he gets his scimitar form, he uses the moveset from the ninja flip ring in Dark Souls 1. Yes, and it amazes me how early people can get that ring. And uh, I saw it in a video when I was like doing research on the Dark Moon Covenant, not even for this episode, just just because, uh, again, <coughs> Dark Moon Blades, it's oh, such a cool covenant. Such a cool covenant. Not Steve's covenant, though. He's already sworn son bro for life. Son bro for life, bro. Yeah, <laughs> which bro. is fair. <laughs> I mean, shoot, man. One of my favorite people in this entire series is a <laughs> nameless king. So <laughs> he, he's technically the son bro. But we all know the real Sunbro is Solaire. Oh, of course, he's all for Jolly Cooperation. Jolly Cooperation. And without Solaire, I wouldn't be a fan of this game. Because <laughs> without Jolly Cooperation, I would have never played this game. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually so funny. Uh, yeah, I um, I don't really... I'm not going to lie. I don't know if it, it... It's not that I get stressed out or anything while playing or that I think it's too hard. I get stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, man. I, I think it's probably just because I've already played through it with you. Um, I know what's coming, but um, I just, it's, I don't get as much enjoyment because when we play through it and we beat the difficult bosses like Madeir or Gale, it's like, it's like this wave of release. We and literally shout. <laughs> the cooperation is definitely jolly. Like we, we have so much fun beating it together. When I beat bosses, like I, I fought Yorm by myself. I, I fought the other bosses by myself. It's not nearly as fun. It really doesn't hit the same. So um, I would say Solaire is the true Sunbro. I agree. Even over the leader of the Sunbros. Because there's, there's an elected leader and a, or an appointed leader, but then there's always like a moral leader, like someone who gets mm -hmm. everyone's spirits up, and that's definitely Solaire. Oh, for sure. He's the best. He is great. Um, anyway, back to Solo Cinder. <laughs> uh, but with, with all the things that he absorbs from all the other games and whatnot, in his second phase, which is my favorite, oh, literally every time I hear his, I hear his music start up, oh, it's because it is a twisted tribute to Gwyn's boss fight from music. DS1. And it's just... Oh, it, it's giving me goosies right now. <laughs> I'm listening to it to I'm, my head. plays Gwyn's boss fight music and he takes on his fighting style. He uses Gwyn's moves that he uses in the game. And that alone, that alone is just so friggin' cool to me. And it's just, it's such a cool tribute. 
It's a tribute to the players. It's a tribute to all of the other games. It, like I said, this is my favorite. And if you look at the background of the kiln, um, what's what's the... I think it, the area is called the kiln of the first flame. Um, if you look at the background, you can see that it's all in shambles. There's buildings coming out of the walls. It's all twisted around and everything. It's nuts. And that's to represent um, how the world is. And the world is in shambles until you link the first flame. And it still is going to be in shambles. The flame is just lit. Yeah. It's lit, bro. And then with the linking of the flame, the fire cleanses and resets. Yep. And if you look closely, it shows, like, the background, it shows everything in everyone's ages. Like, Pontiff's age, the Abyss Watcher's age, freaking all of it. You can see parts of the whole game there. Everywhere. In shambles. Mm -hmm. It's nuts. Mm -hmm. And the... My favorite part is when you walk into the boss fight and you see him there knelt in the middle of the thing and you look up and it's the dark sign. It's the huge sun with the eclipse and the huge flame teardrop. Oh, I want that tattooed on my body. Dude, I mean, that would be sick. I mean, what you could do is the, the typical Dark Souls 3 tattoo where it's the, uh, it's the uh, coiled sword. Mm -hmm. on fire and then above it is the dark sign like dripping down mm -hmm. i'm gonna get like i i told you this just do it on this rib cage oh that'd be cool that'd be sick i want to do like a traditional japanese style tattoo on one of my arms but it's all dark souls but in the traditional japanese style yeah i think that looks so freaking cool that would look really cool mm -hmm. i want to have a sono system in my future house where it's just constantly playing dark souls music you know, honestly, the music of these games are always fantastic from Dark Souls 1 and on. I mean, all the Souls, uh, you know, um, the Soulsborne games, uh, just fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we can expect great compositions oh. in Elden Ring. I get so excited, like, seeing some of the bosses, I already, like, I already get excited. And just from the trailer music, even. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, what... What makes a good Souls boss to you? What do you want to see in Elden Ring? What do I want to see in Elden Ring? What do you want to see in Elden Ring? I want to see awesome boss fight mechanics. Yeah. Like with Ludix Gundir, where he teaches you basically all aspects of boss fights in that one fight. Yep. That's nuts. That's great. I mean, it, it's necessary for the player. Mm -hmm. I don't think the other two Dark Souls games introduce you in such a helpful way. I mean, Dark Souls 1 doesn't... They just throw a fat demon at you. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, throw, they throw first bosses at you. Yeah. But they don't throw, like, almost like an end-level boss, but scaled down for a new player to be able to digest. I'm trying to think who the first boss in Dark Souls 2 is. The first boss in Dark Souls 2 the giant. is it's the, the giant. It's the giant or the pursuer, whichever way you go. Yep. No, you have to kill a giant first. But, uh, they don't do the same service that Ludix does. At least in Dark Souls 2, there is a second phase. He rips off his own arm and starts beating you with it. Yeah, but <laughs> it's not the same thing. I mean, there's a second phase, but there's not like this moment of like, it's teaching you how to parry. 
It's teaching you how to dodge roll. Mm -hmm. It's teaching you how to adapt in situations. And it's very patient with you. If you, if you go back through it after you know how to play the game, Mm -hmm. when you make a new character or you have new game, uh, new game plus you can feel like, Oh, this is easy. I'm just going to blow through it. But if you, if you pay attention, it's, it feels slowed down because it is, it is a tutorial boss. It's, I mean, honestly, just incredible. People say Dark Souls doesn't have an easy mode. <laughs> uh, it does. It's called Summon Your Buddy Like I Did. Um, uh, Jolly Cooperation. They, they literally yelled their easy mode at you. Um, and then if you don't have a buddy to summon, throw on the Way of the Blue. There you go. If you're a part of that and you get invaded by a dark spirit... Uh, somebody no of the Dark Moon Covenant will be summoned to help you. You know, funny enough, not a lot of people are in that covenant because it is an optional covenant, and it's not an easy one to find. And it's early in the game, so by the time you found it, you're shortly after going to find new ones, and you're going to move out of it. Most likely the Sun Bros. It's very, yeah, most likely the Sun Bros. <laughs> it's very difficult to... um. It's very difficult to be uh, to get all the things you need for the Dark Moonblade because of that. But either way, it's still possible to get it, and the community is alive and well. Um, for bosses, what I want to see in Dar- uh, sorry in Big Dark Souls in Elden Ring, um, I want to see new boss mechanics. I mean, I feel like Dark Souls Three is just the HD better game engine version of the other Dark Souls games. I don't I don't know if the mechanics change too much. Like not they like add, too too much. Yeah, they add some new features, but I this is a whole new game franchise. Like I want to see more. I mean we see it in Sekiro. I was gonna say Sekiro does a really good job at bringing in new mechanics. We see it in Code Vein, which is another Bandai game. Namco um Souls like um what anime dark souls anime dark souls <laughs> um i mean we could get really amazing gameplay and and you know the the art style is still very much like dark souls a little brighter though um but i i'm really hoping that the mechanics i i guess the big my big complaint is that they feel clunky and it's because dark souls is a puzzle game it is about like learning where those clunks don't fit so you can attack there mm-hmm. um and we'll still have that, but I would like to see more mix-ups. I want to see more replayability because once you have a boss fight down, you got it down. Like, that's it. They do that actually really well in Dark Souls 2. Once you new game plus, uh, some of the boss fights will have um, added NPCs. Oh, really? That will come and help. Like, uh the lost sinner when you go and fight him it's in a dark room and the camera lock-in is like super short because it's dark and you go and start fighting him and then these two red spirits jump down and start throwing fire at you that's mean i know jerks <laughs> um but yeah I, I would love to see more mechanics um at least in new game plus uh evolutions i think that that's fantastic um i would like to see more spells be used by uh, bosses. I think the Crystal Sage is the main spell user, followed by Aldrich. And I think I would like to see 
more spell users. I, I would like to see spell casting really be revitalized in Elden Ring, as Dark Souls 3 is not a very spell cast heavy game. I did hear uh, for some of the new features that were just dropped for Elden Ring that a cool thing that sorcerers and archers will be able to do is be able to do that on horseback. Yeah, but uh, I don't know if since you'll be m- if you're playing with friends i know horseback has been for the player removed yeah i think and i think that's only for pvp oh only for pvp invaders can't invaders can't oh which might make that a little cheesy i don't know how that's going to work i don't know how that's going to work either it's too soon to we'll tell see. i don't know we'll enough see. about it but yeah those are the things that i want to see i, I want to see spellcasting come back and i want to see bosses using it cuz while, yes, I just spent like 10 minutes complaining about Aldrich's arrows. I think it's that, still cool. Yeah, I think there's like a big room for spell casting in these games that's being underutilized. And it felt like all the bosses went whack and they went bonk and they went sweep and swoosh. But they didn't <laughs> really go pew, 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 pew. And that really, that really kind of bummed me out, you know? So That's um, fair. Especially when you as a player, sorceries and pyromancies are so versatile and so useful well, pyromancies the are the cheese because your bosses don't have them and you just sling fireballs at things that do, does crazy damage because almost everything's weak to fire in the game and yeah i mean it's cheesy cheesy for sure oh don't forget about the demon the demon prince in the fire area that literally throws fireballs at you the entire boss fight that's true <laughs> it's pretty hard boss fight yeah, but his are more like scatter shot. Like it's like area of effect fire. Or the DLC, um, Demon Princess. Demon Princess. Yep. Yeah. Uh, or, or just Demon Prince, I think it is. And yeah. then there's the great ki- old, old demon, old king, de- demon, demon king, old. Yep. Whatever it is down in the catacomb area. Uh, I just had a stroke. I guess. <laughs> are you making toast? Uh, old man raisins. Oh, gross. <laughs> All right. So anyway, um, let us know in the comment sections of our social medias. I don't know if I told you about that. I definitely did, but go check them out anyway. Walk, walk. That's going to be Cosmic Thrill Seekers on Facebook. You can find us at Cosmic Thrill Seekers on TikTok. If you don't like TikTok, but you still want our TikTok content, follow us on Instagram at Cosmic Thrilly Boys. That's B-O-I-S because we your boys. And you can find us on Twitter at Cosmic Seekers. Um, go ahead and shout us out on there. Let us know what you want to see in Elden Ring. Let us know, like, maybe you don't even play these games, but you'd be like, oh, what if a boss did this? You know, you know, do that. Let us know. I won't lie. I feel a lot better about fighting the bosses now that I know more lore about it. It feels cooler. It just feels cooler. I mean, knowing uh, Aldrich's story and seeing Gwendolyn's ragdoll corpse at at the head of this beast... It is horror. It's actually kind of scary. It is a horror game. Um, <laughs> First person Dark Souls. <laughs> yeah, and that that boss does just jump out of nowhere sometimes, so that is a real jump scare. Um, yeah, no, great game. Super great. Those are our favorite bosses. You know, we, we have been playing a lot of this game, getting ready for Elden Ring. This is probably the closest we're going to get to Elden Ring um, style content before Elden Ring drops. Uh, so we, we play this because Elden Ring is going to be built in the same engine. So it feels kind of like we're playing the kid brother of a new game. So you're going to hear us probably talk about a couple more things in a few more episodes while we build up to January. Sorry, Um, not sorry. That's going to come in probably November and December 
in probably the early part of January. But um, we have some big plans for October, Spooktober. Get ready for Spooktober. We are full-fledged excited. (laughs) So anyway, uh, go ahead and check us out on our social medias and let us know what you think about boss mechanics. And maybe you've never played a Dark Souls game or maybe you've never played a video game at all, but you 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 got a cool brain on you and you think of some pretty neat stuff sometimes. So you should go ahead and let us know what you think would make a cool boss fight in any game. Um, but if you have played Dark Souls, try to make it Dark Souls related. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's not hard. We just told you pretty much the whole story of all of the games. Pretty much. You should go play Dark Souls and send us your Dark Souls art. That's cool. Art. Yeah. Art videos, gameplay of you doing it. You know, maybe you just be playing Dark Souls. You know what? Maybe you just beat Ludic Skundir. Maybe you just beat the first boss. Let us know that you're not in that 13% of quitters. <laughs> Quitters. You are a taker. In this house, we finish when we start. Well, I still have that calzone in the fridge. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's definitely nuggets from last night that probably are not going to get finished. That so. still haunts me. Yeah. All right. Well, bye, everyone. I hope you had a wonderful time this week on the Cosmic Thrill Seekers podcast. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. <laughs> bye. Bye. <laughs> Oh, okay. All right. Let it out. Let it out. You. Uh, I'm just kidding. There's nothing. You're the worst. Oh, yeah.